I call your attention to the Word of God, the book of Romans, New Testament book of Romans, chapter 5. In the Pew Bible, it's page 942, 942 in the Pew Bible that was handed out. The book of Romans, chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. And I've also preached after playing before. I've done that before, too. That's, that's old hat. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, our God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to hear from you. Lord God, speak to us through your word. Give us by your spirit ears to hear what your spirit says. Give us hearts and minds that are willing to grasp and believe and stand on your truth. Do your work in our lives, in this place, in our midst today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Have you watched, heard, or read the news lately? Just the briefest and most casual of glimpses at the news will tell you this world is in bad shape. Just thinking off the top of my head, we have in this country racial strife, political strife, Democrat versus Republican, and everything in between, police brutality, rioting and looting, corrupt politicians, corrupt clergy, sexual abuse and molestation in the church, in the schools, in some homes, on the job, on the street, in the dark, broad daylight. Marriageless families, children who've never known a married mom and dad, moms and dads raising children together who see no reason or need to marry. The redefining of marriage in order to confer it upon those for whom it was never intended. Gender confusion. People don't know if they're male or female. People hiding behind the internet to say online what they would never say to someone's face. Have you ever read comments online? Bald-faced racism and xenophobia. Fear of others, those not like us. A delight in and thirst for gossip slander and hearsay. Never mind what the truth is or what the facts are, I prefer what this news viewpoint is. Bible-less churches, non-believing pastors and theologians, non-Christian Christians. And that's just in this country, as I said. Outside the U.S., there are literally hundreds of armed conflicts going on around the globe, so I read. There's terrorism over a good portion of this planet. In some countries, you have a a casting off of all moral and religious restraint, while in other countries, you have the, the spread of oppressive religious fundamentalism. If you think about it too hard, it can be frightening. Do you ever wonder how the human race got in the fix that it's in? How did we get so messed up? As you know, if you've been coming the past several weeks, we are preaching a series of sermons based on our statement of faith, the Second London Baptist Confession of 1689. And today we're looking at chapter 6 of the confession, entitled The Fall of Man, Sin and Its Punishment. This chapter is printed in your bulletins on page 10. And I want us to read together, if you will, just the first two paragraphs in this chapter on page 10 in your bulletins, chapter 6 of the Second London Baptist Confession. Just the first two paragraphs on page 10 in your bulletin. Let's read that together. Man, as he came from the hand of God, his creator, was upright and perfect. 
the righteous law which God gave him spoke of life as conditional upon his obedience and threatened death upon his disobedience. Adam's obedience was short-lived. Satan used the subtle serpent to draw Eve into sin. Thereupon, she seduced Adam, who, without any compulsion from without, willfully broke the law under which they had been created, and also God's command not to eat of the forbidden fruit. To fulfill his own wise and holy purposes, God permitted this to happen, for he was directing all to his own glory. Second paragraph. By this sin, our first parents lost their former righteousness, and their happy communion with God was severed. Their sin involved us all, and by it death appertained to all. All men became dead in sin and totally polluted in all parts and faculties of both soul and body. This kind of explains how we got to be in the fix we're in. But I don't want to preach the confession this morning. I want to preach the Word of God. And fortunately, God's Word addresses this very same topic. We see in the passage I read in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12 to the end of the chapter, that the Apostle Paul explains for us just how it came to be that all people are sinners. He explains that, but he doesn't just do that. He also points to us the solution, the remedy for our sin, which is in Jesus Christ. Amen? He doesn't just give us the bad news, but thank God he gives us the good news. Well, how do we get in this fix? Let's look back at our text in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Let's just stop there. Paul doesn't really finish that thought. He goes in a slightly different direction after that, but that's all we need. Right in that uh, verse there, we have all the explanation we have need for how we got in this fix. We see here a simple progression. Paul tells us that sin came into the world through one man. This is a reference back to Genesis 3, which we heard read earlier today. There we have recorded what is called the fall of man. When the first human beings, Adam and his wife Eve, disobeyed God's clear and direct command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and instead freely ate of it at the suggestion of the serpent, who was Satan, and the apostle, the apostle tells us it was through this one man, Adam, that sin came into the world. Human sin, in other words, didn't originate with God. It's not God's fault. It originated with man. Through his own free choice, man brought sin into God's world. Sin came into the world through one man. But Paul goes on to tell us, and death came through sin. This is both physical death, the separation of our soul, our, our spirit from the body, and spiritual death a break in man's relationship with God. God told Adam plainly that this would happen if they disobeyed. In Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17, 
It says, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And God kept his word. Man died spiritually. Adam and Eve suddenly knew they were naked, and they were ashamed, Genesis 3, 7. They no longer felt comfortable in God's presence, and they tried to hide, Genesis 3, 8. Blame shifting, strife, and contention were introduced into the marital relationship, Genesis 3:12. Women were given pain in childbirth. The ground was cursed so that now man would have to labor hard to bring forth produce from the ground, Genesis 3, 17 and 19, through 19. And Adam and Eve were cast out of God's presence in the garden physically. But man began to also die physically. We see this in Genesis 3, 19, where it says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is pointing to their eventual physical death. We can therefore assume that had not Adam and Eve sinned, man would have lived forever in bodies that would never age, never decay. But because they sinned, at that moment they began to die. And we Thirdly, the apostle tells us in verse 12 of our text, death spread to all men because all sinned. This state of sin into which Adam and Eve fell through their disobedience was passed on to their descendants so that all their descendants would be born in a state of sin and separation from God. And this includes you and includes me. We all have come under uh, this curse. And how do we know this is true? Paul tells us, because all people sin and all people die. Have you ever considered that we are dying? Have you noticed, if you live long enough to experience this, once we reach the completion of our physical growth and maturation, our bodies begin to decay. Our hair starts thinning or, or turning gray. Our eyes no longer focus as well as they used to, and we have to start wearing bifocals. Our hearing is not as keen as it once was. You should hear the conversations in my house. What did you say? I said such and such, huh? Hearing is just not what it once was. Our joints begin to ache. I took some leave this morning so that after standing up here, my, my feet wouldn't be killing me because of that arthritis in my feet. Joints start to ache. We don't have the stamina we once had. We can't just work all day and party all night and wake up the next day and just be fine. It, we just don't have that stamina. We don't absorb new information as easily as we once did. We don't memorize as easily as we once did, and I could go on and on. These are all signs of aging, but a sign of aging are also signs of our impending death. You ever think of it in that term? I know that really hit me when I turned 40. 
I was depressed when I turned 40. I was so depressed, I didn't want any birthday party. Catherine was like, you want to go out for your birthday? You want to celebrate? I don't want to celebrate anything. Because from my perspective, from my perspective, I wasn't where I wanted to be in life or where I had thought I was going to be. And, and, and I saw that 40 years projected in the future would be 80. And to me, it seemed like I had reached the top of that hill and everything was downhill from there. I was depressed. It took me two years before I celebrated my 40th birthday. <laughs> Literally. I, I, when, I, when I turned 42, I said, Kath, I think I'm ready for a party now. But it, my mortality became real to me. I, I knew that intellectually. We just know that. No, no one lives forever. But it, it really became real that this life is, is short. And, and it, it doesn't last long. And, and before you know it, you know, you look up in your middle age. You look up and you're a senior citizen. You look up and you're at death's door. Uh, we're all headed towards death. These are reminders of our mortality. They're reminders of the marks of the fall of man. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's what God said. It became true. But we also know this is true because we sin. We sin. Generally speaking, I think most people would agree that, that people sin. As I said, we look at the news, we see all this going on. We, we recognize that people sin. There's, there's evil in the world. There's wrong in the world. Uh, it's hard to hear and see the news reports and deny the sinfulness of humanity. But more difficult is it to admit that we ourselves sin and that we are therefore sinners. We see that other people are sinners. It's harder for us to see that we are sinners. Or it's hard for us to see that it matters all that much to God. Yes, I, I did wrong. No one's, no one's perfect, but does it really matter? Won't God just uh, wink at it? The imperfections of our character, our moral and ethical mistakes, our flaws, our shortcomings, our wrongdoings are sins. They're sins. That's what the Bible calls them. They are symptoms of our sinfulness. And they're, they're evidences that we ourselves are sinners. Nobody's perfect is what we like to say, but God says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As difficult as it may be for us to swallow, with our fierce American sense of independence and individuality, people are not islands unto themselves. Our decisions and actions carry consequences and affect others. This is not so difficult to understand for many in non-Western cultures. For instance, uh, the Congolese uh, David Kasali, and I actually had a chance to briefly meet him back in Illinois where he uh, went for seminary, but he's from the, from the Congo. He wrote in his commentary on uh, Romans, an African from a community-based society in which one is because others are, in which one is because others are, can easily follow Paul's explanation, for we share the belief of Paul's Jewish community that the actions of one person can affect many others. 
What Paul highlights in this passage is what theologians call the, the federal or uh, representational or, or covenantal headship of Adam. The idea that we see taught here in Romans 5 is that Adam, as the first man, represented the entire human race. Adam represented us. We were in Adam. And we see this concept elsewhere in Scripture. This is not foreign to Scripture. For instance, in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, when the writer tells us that Levi, the priest, who is one of the sons of Jacob and one of Abraham's great-grandsons, paid tithes through his great-grandfather Abraham to Melchizedek, the priest, even though Levi wasn't even thought of at the time that Abraham met Melchizedek. How could this happen? The writer tells us it was because Levi was still in the loins of his ancestor Abraham when Melchizedek met Abraham. He wasn't born, but Abraham represented all of his descendants. And so that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, it could be said that Levi, Abraham's great-grandson, paid tithes to Melchizedek. This is a common uh, way of seeing things. We don't stand on our own. We represent somebody. In a similar way, we were in the loins of Adam when he sinned in the garden. So when Adam fell, we fell in Adam. Now, I'm sure the question arises in the back of our minds, but is this fair? Is this right for God to, to as it were, blame us for the sin of Adam? To answer that question, let me first remind you that the apostle wrote, death spread to all men, verse 12 of our text, death spread to all men because all sinned. In other words, we're guilty. All sinned. None of us can say we have never sinned. And the Apostle James reminds us that whosoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty, has become accountable for all of it. It only takes one sin to send you to hell eternally. And I guarantee you've sinned more than once. I have too. A couple of days ago, I came across this video clip on Facebook. I think it was on Brother Ricky's uh, Facebook page. It was of a theologian, R.C. Sproul, and it was, it was titled Thug Life. There's some, there's some uh, videos going on out there that say thug life, and they, they have people or, or animals or or whatever, doing outrageous, bold uh, things, and they, they, they show that, and then the words flash thug life, and this music plays in the background. Well, they had a clip of uh, Dr. Sproul at some conference speaking. It appeared that uh, Dr. Sproul was speaking of the punishment that was inflicted on Adam and Eve because of their sin, and addressing the perspective that some people have that God was too harsh in his punishment of Adam and Eve. Here's what Dr. Sproul said. I, I, I copied down his words. He said, this creature from the dirt, speaking of Adam, defied the everlasting holy God after that God had said, the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. And instead of dying that day, he lived another day and was clothed in his nakedness by pure grace, that is grace from God. 
and had the consequences of a curse applied for quite some time. But the worst curse would come upon the one who seduced him, that is, upon the serpent, upon the devil, whose head would be crushed by the seed of the woman, who is Christ. And then Dr. Sproul says, with indignation, he says, and the punishment was too severe? Dr. Sproul said, what's wrong with you people? And then that's where it breaks out in the thug life. But you know, that same word, that same word could be addressed to those of us who question the fairness of God in passing on the guilt of Adam to his posterity. Think about it. You and me, we're creatures. God is the creator. He created us. We live in his world in his universe, breathing his air, partaking of his resources. We're the creature, and yet we sin against God every day of our life. We sin against God every day by thought, by word, by deed, by omission. Bottom line is, we're guilty. You're guilty. I'm guilty. And because we're guilty, we haven't a leg to stand on before a holy God. You think it's too severe that he would curse all of Adam's posterity because of Adam's sin? What complaint can any sinner raise against God? God is the definition of right. If God does it, it's right because he's God. He sets the rules. Everything exists because of him. He keeps everything in existence. In him we live, move, and have our being. We depend upon him. He doesn't depend upon us. If he says it's wrong, it's wrong. But beside that, he's holy. He's without sin. None of us are without sin. We have no ground on which to challenge God. The question can be legitimately asked of us, what's wrong with you? What, who do you think you are? I also want to remind you that Adam is not the only federal head or representative head in this passage of Scripture that we have before us. The Apostle Paul writes of another man, the Lord Jesus Christ. As Adam was the representative head of the human race, Jesus Christ is the representative head of all who will believe and trust in him. Because of Adam's sin, we are condemned. However, before you call that unfair, let me hasten to remind you that it was because of the sins of others that Christ was condemned. Was that fair? If that's unfair, then the other, the other is unfair. But we want Christ to bear our sins. But we don't want to be responsible for, for Adam's sin. My friend, I encourage you to embrace this truth of representative federal covenant headship. Because in this truth is our salvation. If Christ Jesus did not stand in our place as our representative then we're eternally lost. 
For although it was a representative headship of Adam that got us into this mess called sin, it is only the representative headship of Christ Jesus, the last Adam, that will get us out of this mess. And that's what it says in the next verses in our text, verse 15. Look at it, if you will, in our text. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In these verses, Paul mentions the free gift three times. And in verse 17, he calls it the free gift of righteousness. What is this free gift? I believe we get our answer in the very next chapter, chapter 6, verse 23, very well-known verse. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the free gift is righteousness, there in verse 17 of our text, and eternal life, chapter 6, verse 23, received in and through Jesus Christ. This is not by mistake. I believe Paul clearly means for us to see the contrast here. So on the one hand, through Adam, humanity inherits sin and death, both spiritual and physical. On the other hand, through Jesus Christ, through faith in him, those who believe receive the gift of righteousness and eternal life. Look again at the text and notice the comparisons Paul makes between Adam or one man's trespass, and Christ, the free gift. Verse 15, but the free gift, that is righteousness and eternal life through Christ, is not like the trespass, that is sin and death through Adam. On the one hand, Paul says, many died through one man's trespass. But contrast that on the other hand, the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded, overflowed for many. In verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. On the one hand, the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. On the other hand, the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And then verse 17, on the one hand, because of one man's trespass, death reigned, through that one man. On the other hand, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So on one hand, because of the federal or representative headship of Adam over the human race, we are all born sinners. We are all born under condemnation. Death reigns, and we are slaves to it. But on the other hand, because of the federal or representative headship of Jesus Christ over the redeemed, over all who believe in him and receive the grace of God, the free gift of eternal life, righteousness, or right standing with God, and they reign in life, that is, they share in Christ's resurrection. Death now has no power over them. So do you see how important is this teaching of representative headship? 
Look at the next two verses. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be, be made righteous. Through the fall, one tragic act of disobedience to the express command of God, all people are made sinners and stand under God's just condemnation. But through faith in Christ Jesus, sins are forgiven. Condemnation is removed. Right standing in the sight of God is declared. Why? Because of Christ's life of righteous obedience. That's what Paul is saying here. You see, whereas Adam failed to obey God, Jesus Christ never failed to obey perfectly his father's commands. Jesus said, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus is the only one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And this holy, sinless, guiltless one, by God's foreordained plan, went to the cross, a Roman instrument of execution, to die in the place of every person who will trust in him, bearing in his body their sins, suffering in those hours in which he hung on the cross, the eternal wrath of God that their sins deserved, absorbing it fully. Jesus died until justice was satisfied, died until he could cry out, it is finished, the price had been paid. Buried in a new tomb, Jesus rose again on the third day following as proof that the Father had accepted the sacrifice of the Son. And now all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ trust in who he is and what he has done, receive forgiveness of sins because Christ Jesus took their sins upon himself. They are declared righteous because they are credited now with Christ's perfect righteousness. They receive eternal life, the very life of Christ through the living and abiding presence of God, the Holy Spirit who dwells within all who trust in Christ. They won't come into condemnation because Christ was condemned in their place and God doesn't punish sin twice. They are passed from death unto life. Death has no more power over them. And they will reign with Christ eternally because they've been adopted as sons of God. But let's wrap this up. Verses 20 and 21. Paul writes, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why does Paul bring in mention of the law here? I believe he is going back to what he wrote in verses 13 and 14. We skipped over those verses. He writes in verse 13, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. 
Now, is Paul here saying that people got away with sin until the law came through Moses? Uh, No, I don't believe so. You remember the flood, don't you, Uh, under Noah? The flood came upon the world to destroy the world because of human sin. So so God did take note of sin, and, and sin was punished before the law. And proof that sin was in the world between Adam and Moses is the fact that death reigned. People died. The wages of sin is death. Yet unlike Adam, those who sinned did not violate specific direct commands of God. Adam was given a direct command, don't do this. And Adam did that. And therefore he sinned and he fell. Without the commands, there were no direct, explicit commands for people to break, but did not mean people didn't sin. People sinned, and people died, and and God punished their sin. So in that sense, their sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. With the giving of the law through Moses, there were now flagrant, direct violations of God's commands. The late theologian F.F. Bruce, commenting on verses 13 and 14, said this, He said, sin was present in the world ever since Adam's fall, but the law served the purpose of bringing sin right out into the light of day so that it might be more clearly recognized for what it really is. Thinking of these verses I thought about when my boys were young. They're, They're practically grown now, but I think about when they were little kids and often the older brother was messing with the little brother pushing them or hitting them or or doing something like that. Now, that was wrong for the older brother to do. He shouldn't be pushing his his little brother, shouldn't be hitting his little brother, shouldn't be teasing his little brother, but without a specific command, it's still wrong, but there was no specific command. But now if dad came and said, now, Evan, don't mess with your brother. Leave your brother Ethan alone. And then Evan went and messed with his brother, now... We're talking about flagrant disobedience. Dad gave a command, and Evan disobeyed the command in order to mess with his brother. That's the situation we had before the law came. Sin was in the world, but once the law came, now we have explicit commands that, that, that they have been violated. So what does the apostle tell us? Where sin increased, it increased because of the law. Now that there are explicit commands, it increases sin. It ups the ante. Uh, The older brother messing with the younger brother was one thing, but when dad says, don't do it, now you've disobeyed God. That's your your dad, rather. That's that's flagrant disobedience. That ups the ante. So sin increases. But Paul says in verse 20, where sin increased because of the law, grace abounded all the more or it surpassed, it increased the more. It, it, it super abounded. Where, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. I like what the, 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 the Puritan Richard Sibbs says, and I think it, it, it sums it up perfectly. Richard Sibbs said, there is more grace in Christ than sin in us. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. You might be in a situation where you feel I've sinned too much. How can God forgive me where sin increased? Grace increases all the more. You can't sin too much for God. You can't sin too much for God. His grace is greater than your sin. 
Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Without that belief, we, we, we get hopeless. We think, though, there is nothing I, that God can do for me. I just, I've just messed up too much. I, I've, I've just sinned too much. There's, there's no hope for me. And that's why people commit suicide. That's why they commit uh, different kinds of, of crimes, just, just acting out of their depression and their frustration. They, they feel it doesn't matter. What does it matter? I just might as well take my life or take someone else's life. But the Bible lets us know where sin abounded, grace abounded, there is hope. God's grace is greater than your sin. So how did humanity get in the fix it's in? It was back in verse 12 of our text. Sin came into the world through one man, our representative, Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. You want proof that that's true? You sin. I sin. We die as proof that this is true, what the Scripture says. But there's another representative head, says the apostle, the Lord Jesus Christ. For all who will trust in him, Jesus lived the sinless life that you and I cannot live. He fulfilled the law's demands that you and I cannot fulfill. He suffered on the cross as God's substitutionary sacrifice. That is, he stood in the place of others, sacrificed as a lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, shedding his blood for the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins, so that all who will trust Christ alone, for all that will trust him, there is now no condemnation because he's taken all the condemnation. There is now forgiveness of sins. We are now adopted through faith into the family of God. We are children of God. We're heirs of righteousness. We have eternal life, the very life of Christ, living within through the person of the Holy Spirit. We are not left alone through Christ, our representative head. Will you trust Christ? Will you trust him? Our answer is in Christ. Our answer is not in Adam. We got in the fix we're in through Adam. But our answer is in Christ Jesus. Like what the hymn writer, Robert Lowry, wrote. He asked the question, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Naught of good, nothing of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the second Adam, the last Adam, our representative head, Jesus Christ, who stood in our place, 
paid the penalty for our sins, shed his blood for our forgiveness, died, rose again, proving that you accepted the sacrifice of the Son, and now he bids all to come unto him to believe and trust in him. Thank you for Christ Jesus in whom we have life, in whom we have forgiveness of sins, through whom we are reconciled to you. Lord, I pray that if there be anyone in this place, in this room, who doesn't know Christ, that you would grant to them the gift of faith, enable them to believe and trust savingly in the Lord Jesus Christ. Save them today. Give them to know by your spirit that they are a child of God. Do your work in our lives, and we will be so careful to forever give you all the glory, all the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.